watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos read the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have for you three horribly depressing movies. You Were Never Really Here, Lean on Pete, and Where is Kira? And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Jason, how's it going? What's up with you? Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Well, <clears throat> I was telling you a little about this the other day, but I've gotten myself into a very on-brand conundrum. Mm, oh, yes. Yes. This. Yes. So, uh, there is a singer named Jill Sobiel that I don't know if you all know, but I know her because she's great. For those uh, too young uh, or too hep, uh, Jill Sobiel sang the original I Kissed a Girl in the 90s. Uh, the better, the superior I Kissed a Girl. The I Kissed a Girl that's not about tantalizing straight guys. Mm. Uh, and uh, she is just a great, great singer-songwriter. I've always been a fan of hers. We follow each other on Instagram. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you the truth. And um, and she has been posting a lot recently about how she wants to start booking house shows where she just plays people's homes, people's apartments. And, um, and I never really thought much of it. But then she started posting things like, oh, I want to book Bay Area dates in May. And then, I don't know, I just like that kind of like, well, why not kind of voice started to pipe mm-hmm. up. And so I wound up emailing her and being like, hi, yes, uh, I am potentially interested in hosting one of these. Um, what dates are you thinking? What rates do you have in mind? And uh, and I think in my mind, I was thinking, because she was so, all her posts about were very like, this whole thing, it might sound like it's going to be, it's impossible, but it's really not. You'd be surprised how easy it is to book these. And I'm thinking, okay, so she must really have like a really reasonable rate in mind because she is just wanting to do this experience. Like just, you know, she artistically is interested in playing these small little gigs. And so, so yeah, so we're emailing and um, I was like, hi, Jill. Um, we follow each other on Instagram. I am at excess baggage. And uh, yeah, what's the deal? And she wrote back and was like, I want to start a band called Excess Faggage. Really? And uh, and uh, and then she's like, well, you know, I used to have an all-female klezmer band called Isle of Klezbos. <laughs> That's like Isle of Dogs. It is like Isle of Dogs. I much prefer um, Isle of Klezbos. Uh, my newest uh, Twitter name is Isle of Vodka. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen that. I, I, I haven't gotten that ping yet. Just saying. I will make sure to know that that is you when you send me hateful messages in the middle of the night mm-hmm. from that yeah. account. I have not been reported yet. <laughs> not yet. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we shared a good laugh about our, our gay wordplay handles. And then she dropped a number on me that I was not expecting. Um, but that she did quickly point out was less than the cost of her nephew's bar mitzvah DJ. <laughs> it's like for less than a cup of coffee a day, you can have Jill Sobule playing in your living room. And you and your gayest friends can sit around and fawn over her while she plays her greatest hits, such as I Kissed a Girl and... You, so call now you monster <laughs> supermodel remember supermodels no, and clueless mm. oh how dare you um so uh yeah so it really is like i feel like i'm living out some sort of like be careful what you wish for cautionary tale mm. because you know i i looked into the void and it looked back um, <laughs> and it costs a good pretty penny it does. and so i was telling scott about it and he was like i don't want her playing in our <laughs> living room 
Like, oh, great. This is how you get ants and Jill Sobules. How do we get rid of any of these things? I don't have to call an all-new specialist. And you get rid of one-hit wonders from the 90s once they find home in your, in, uh, in your uh, fucking lobby. Oh, my God. Can this be the movie where it's like you you pay Jill Sobule an exorbitant amount of money to come play in your living room? And then she like takes up residency here in this uh, your spare bedroom and never leaves. <laughs> and she's just sitting there strumming the guitar in the background while we're taping the show. Right? She's like, you guys crack me up. <laughs> Thanks, Jill. <laughs> Appreciate your support. It's, I guess we have new intro music because she won't stop playing. <laughs> oh, my God. I should totally ask her to record that. <laughs> no, please don't. We have a great one. It's fine. Um, that would be funny though. Um, and so, uh, anyway, so she gave us this range. She gave me this range of dates, and um, and and they are all in over the course of this one week where I'm going to be out of town. And so I was like, oh, oh, that's too bad. So we're back. I'm just like, oh, Jill, I'm so sorry. I'm going to be out of town those days. But you know, I hope that you're able to book some gigs, and I'm looking forward to your next album. I've already pledged to it because she's one of the many artists that I support through pledge music and such similar platforms. And um, and then she wrote back and she mentioned, first of all, that she also once had an all-female punk band called Dinah Shore Jr. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Booker. Booker, can she just... Get Dinah Shore Jr. together. Record that jingle. Bring it in. Um, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. And um, I need... We, let's do it. Any, just name name your price. I have got my checkbook ready. Guys, it sounds like we're doing this. Um, because she... Wait, did, did, was she, she gay mascus? <laughs> See, see, you can get in the mix with really? her. See, don't you want to be in this mix? Wow. And she, uh, and then she was like, oh, okay. Well, she's like, well, let's try to find a date in June or July. Died a short June. That is <laughs> fucking brilliant. That is so good. <laughs> um, so she did suggest June or July. So we might still try making this happen. Let's do it. Here's the thing. If you don't do it, there is a more successful middle-aged gay man in san francisco that's just gonna like do it instead and you I don't want to live with that i know i know well i feel like she probably has a lot of us to choose from oh yeah <laughs> she do you have a, a nemesis she, she has a pick of the litter uh don't you have that guy from that local theater that you're a nemesis with the guy from the local theater what? yeah he told you not to take photos or something at a oh some kevin other sesums no he, he's he's gonna do it if you got, don't do it he got fired so uh-huh. we all know that my nemesis is tony bravo so oh uh, well yeah he might do it yeah uh, so anyway, so that may or may not still happen. Rebecca is now officially in to underwrite it. I have no uh, idea what she sings, but I'm there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you'll find out. You'll find out the hard way. Uh, <laughs> by which I mean paying for it. <laughs> Rebecca, what's up with you? Uh, not too much. Speaking of musicians, um, we went out last week to what was not a party. No. And we saw Fleetwood Macrame, which is a, I believe they're local, uh, Fleetwood Mac cover band. Uh, queer, I think is the. Uh, they pretty much filled out the the horseshoe, the lucky horseshoe in Brunel, uh to mm-hmm. capacity. It was crazy in there, and which immediately I was like, "Where's the fire exit?" I'm yes. afraid. Yes, it was. It was light light on knitting for a band with that mm-hmm, name. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're wondering if there's like some special macrame related piece of their presentation, there is not. Here's the thing: it's no Dinosaur Junior in no. terms of name. No. Uh, excellence. We can only dream. Well, they were great. Um, you know, we had had a few drinks by the time we started, uh, but I don't think that that necessarily affected m- how much I enjoyed no. um, their covers of Fleetwood Mac songs. Because it wasn't a party. But that's the thing. It was not a party. It was not a party. Um, so that was a really nice time, um, you know, seeing you outside of behind the mic. Mm-hmm. Um, it turns out you have legs. Yeah. I just thought you were a torso and a giant mouth. Yeah. No, I'm tall. Real tall. 
Uh, and uh, even though my legs were once again folded up beneath me while we were at mm. uh, Lucky Horseshoe. Yeah, you kept getting a... Um kept getting like shouldered by a bunch of angry lesbians who wanted to drink oh i really did you were like a magnet they were like Oof. you were there but like they saw your space as the opportunity for them to edge in and they get very upset about the the service level that is that is basically the energy that i give off um yeah because if you if you if you get back what you give off what i give off is like um this is someone you can take out your problems on <laughs> <laughs> i've always been that person who like um if you walk up to like order food and you're like, oh, hi, could I get the number three? I'm the person to whom they say no. Really? And then they laugh. What? And then I laugh. And I'm like, ha, ha, Yeah, no, I just give off this really like, oh, this is like, maybe it's because I'm like, I'm very large physically. And, but like, I give off such a completely non-threatening, um, you know, kind of punching bag energy. <laughs> People are just like, you know, they just like to terrorize me. Wow. You know who you are. I'm looking right at you. I know. Okay. I didn't, well, I didn't know it was universal. I thought it, it was is. me. Yeah. No, it's not just you. I yeah. feel a little less special. <laughs> it is It is an amazing you're thing to be like, You're picking up on wow. something universal. Because you're used to like picking on people smaller than you, but to be able to pick mm-hmm. on someone who's like a like a yeah. six foot something grown man is like oh, yeah. really a treat. And especially since I'm so frequently in lesbian spaces, uh, mm. th- this is why I have to, I'm on my mission to befriend all of you because otherwise I'm just going to just get pushed and shoved in the elbow every time I'm out with my friends. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Like if you get into a fight, none of us have your back. No, yeah, no, okay. that's understood. That's understood. At the end of the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still a lone wolf in these settings. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, shall we to the movies? Let's do it. Um, the first movie this week is You Were Never Really Here, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of the week. A traumatized veteran who's unafraid of violence, Joe tracks down missing girls for a living. When a job spins out of control, his nightmares overtake him as a conspiracy is uncovered, leading to what may be his death trip or his awakening. Man called. He wants to see you. State Senator Albert Vato. He doesn't want to get the cops involved. He wants to meet you. You have kids, Joe? Nina. Her name is Nina. 235 East 31st Street. I've heard of these places. If she's there, I'll get her. Cleary said you were brutal. I can be. So this is the one this week I didn't get a chance to see. I want to just first off the bat, are we talking pick of the week in comparison to the other movies or pick of the week um, in the world of picks of the weeks? Uh, I think I would make it uh, pick of the week under I won't say under any circumstances mm-hmm. but no it's not like because you know we just don't have one if I think the movie if there's Sometimes. not a deserving title no I think it's it's a deserving pick yeah mm-hmm. we have Joaquin Phoenix as the uh another grizzly um fierce character we've seen him play a lot of um sort of off-kilter um either ne'er-do-wells or just straight up um n- not even trying to do wells um what's the last thing we saw him in um, I don't know. I say we, because uh, we watch things collectively. Mm-hmm, we do. I'm um, thinking... What was it? Wasn't uh, The Master. No, that's what I was thinking of too, but obviously there have been more since then. It wasn't the one this with... This is the kind of thing that we need to look up beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> so we don't just have this moment oh. where, oh, it was, um... He, oh, it's actually been a minute. He was in Irrational Man in 2015, which was a Woody Allen movie. And then... Mm. 
The year before that, he was an inherent vice for Paul mm. Thomas Anderson. Grizzled. The year before that, he was in her. Not grizzled. Not grizzled. Um, and then, yeah, he has a few things coming out this year because he's also in the new Gus Van Sant movie. Um, don't worry, uh, they won't get far on foot. Mm, and right. then he also is in um, a movie called Mary Magdalene, uh, in which he plays Jesus. Great. Opposite Rooney Mara as Mary Magdalene. Wow. Yes. And it's directed by Garth Davis, who did Lion. And this movie is directed by Lynn Ramsey, who did We Need to Talk About Kevin. Yeah, this is her first movie since that. Wow. Yeah, she is not prolific. She had a movie that she was intended to do between the two, um, Jane Got a Gun, uh, which is a Western star, Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What happened? Uh, she was taken away? She done fucked that one up. Um, she, I think it was, I think it was her, she was trying to work with the studio and Problem I think she's one. just too much of an iconoclast and she just couldn't, yeah, it just didn't, it was not a good fit. It was mm. not a good fit, it turns out. And so she, I don't know if she fired, was fired or if she quit, um, either way that they brought in Gavin O'Connor as like a hired gun to finish the mm. movie because weren't working, weren't working. So in this movie, we find her very much back, uh, in her kind of fractured fragmented poetry of her previous films and uh, it's it's pretty remarkable uh we have it's a, a assuming another dark tale it's an incredibly dark 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 tale it's based on a on a novella by jonathan ames uh the writer mm. who uh created bored to death the tv show mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and also uh, known uh, for the ames era uh never I, mind go on okay <laughs> the ames chair uh so he uh yeah so he wrote the novellas is based on and uh and and what's what's interesting the story itself you know when you when you read like the log line it seems very familiar it seems like okay well so it's like taxi driver crossed with like Mm -hmm. man on fire Mm -hmm. uh you know we have this the one with natalie portman uh with the the, with the professional professional yeah (laughs) assassin the professional right so um and yet it's you know it's it's Ramsey as a director that makes it such a completely entirely unique and otherworldly experience. Something that she does here is she almost kind of issues dialogue altogether. Uh, so for most of the movie, it's almost like you're watching a movie that it's not silent because you can hear everything that's happening. You're never really in a quiet place. But there's never really dialogue. There's like there's there's some talk, but it's almost like this. The volume is mixed really low, hmm. and Joaquin Phoenix is like a mumble mouth on his best day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, and she just leans right into that. Uh, he is unintelligible, and it took me a while <laughs> to figure out like, oh, this this is on purpose because like mm-hmm. you, you know she wants you to experience the movie not through the dialogue, but through you know through the visuals, uh, through. Uh, the editing and the cinematography and the sound and also just through the acting uh, the physical acting the facial acting uh, you know you follow these things and you it really looks to you as the audience to follow along and to put the pieces together yourself without having any sort of like clear exposition or any sort of uh, yeah any clear dialogue to mm-hmm. help you understand what's happening um, but it was very um, it worked for me it was very it was very intense it's very immersive it's yeah, real dark. Uh, guys, uh, we were going to see this together, um, but the night before, we had seen Lean on Pete together, and we'll get to mm. that a bit later. We will get to that. But let's just say that Rebecca, uh, it would have been, after what happened to Rebecca, <laughs> watching Lean on Pete, I feel like it would have been... We need to talk about Rebecca? It would have been... <laughs> I've had a hard week, and uh, and we had already seen, and I had seen um, 
uh, Where's Kira as well. Where's Kira? Um, mm-hmm. And that is also a pretty bleak movie. Yes. Um, so I, I just uh, I wasn't up for another one. I wasn't up for another one. Would you yeah. say this one is um, bleak on the level of... I'm like, Lean on Pete? That's a completely different movie. Um, well, I mean, this is more about... So the thing about Lean on Pete is, you know, it's more about the ways that just the that life can be cruel and the mm-hmm. world can be cruel. Um, this is specifically about people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like this really puts any the, the sadness of Lean on Pete into perspective in a way because like this is about just savage murderers. And this uh. is about child prostitutes. Mm. And this is about, um, you know, so, you know, just the things that, you know, your day job, basically. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is it, it, it's a completely different kind of dark. Um, but yeah, by the end, there is definitely there's sort of like an extended lengthy ongoing kind of massacre um, that happens around midway through the point midway point in the film. And and I'm just like, damn, this is dark. And I will say this for the film, though. It is um, remarkably tasteful with the violence because I was nervous to see it. When it premiered at Cannes last year, all anyone kept talking about was like, that's the movie where Joaquin Phoenix is a hammer killer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because his preferred um, tool of death is um, is a ball-peen hammer. Mm. And, uh, and so, and he does, sure enough, kill a number of people with those. Um, but like the way that it's cut is just so like sort of poetic and haunting because it always sort of either cuts away just a moment before or a moment after, um, you know, what has happened. And you, so we just see like the body laying there. We'll just see like a swing of an arm. There's this one scene, remarkable, remarkable scene where he takes, um, this brothel, this New York, this sort of like Tony brothel where, um, underage girls are, are, you know, rented out to the rich and powerful. And he, and he storms it because the girl he needs to rescue that he's been assigned with rescuing is inside the brothel and the entire sequence is played out with uh, no music and done entirely through the security camera footage. Mm, mm -hmm. And so it's just, we just watched silently of just like a series of hallways of him just like walking through and opening doors and like dragging guys out and then just sort of like a swing of the hammer. And, um, and it is virtuoso virtuoso filmmaking there is a score though and that score is by johnny greenwood oh really oh yeah and it's a great score really really just another knockout score from johnny greenwood very distinct from the stuff he does for paul thomas anderson much Mm -hmm. more kind of synthy i would hope so (laughs) (laughs) yeah it had that even the the trailer um song had that you know that sort of uh synthy uh sound we've heard in uh, a lot of movies recently like Mm -hmm. sort of kicking off with drive yeah um into um and then we have good time nocturnal animals this reminded me a lot of good time uh Ah. but 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 i like this a lot better than good time uh so i feel like this um in a way it kind of succeeds in a place where i feel like good time kind of faltered Mm -hmm. uh you know and you know which was not the fault of, of robert pattinson because he was of course fantastic in that film uh but this is just i think that they were going the, the softy brothers were going for the kind of you know gritty urban poetry there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they weren't quite getting it and i didn't feel like the movie was more than the sum of its influences whereas mm. this is such a singular vision um and it lets it lets lynn ramsey be the filmmaker that she is and that's a filmmaker who can't apparently be hemmed in by studio rules so uh, a question I have about this, uh, about Joaquin Phoenix's character as this this killer, this hammer killer, mm-hmm. 
is it um is it does it feel like it is unbelievable like is it a situation where it's like there's no way this one person can kill all these people in like a quentin tarantino-y kind of um, i don't know john wick way or is it like a very believable like these kind of people can actually exist in the world i would say it's believable they do a lot of um they do a lot of sort of contextualizing of what his life has been that's led to him being the man that he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and physically, he's not like, you know, killing eight people in one room or something that's no, like impossible. No, no, he's, he's definitely kind of taking people off out one by one in a way that seems believable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so we see a lot of, you know, he's this haunted, this man who, and I read someone today describe it as almost sort of like he has become the totality of every terrible thing that he's ever seen or done because even walking phoenix put a lot of weight for this role he's very bulky and his body is covered with these enormous scars whose isn't <laughs> get in line <laughs> join the club <laughs> stop bragging uh, <laughs> like, let's compare um and uh and so but yeah so we have this whole bit about his childhood and and you know growing up in this abusive home he still to this day he lives with his mother who is very old and he looks after her and it's a very sweet tender believable relationship he has with her and that's a connection this movie has to where is kira uh and so but then he also was uh he's a veteran and Mm. he had served um you know as a marine and so there are shards of things that he saw and witnessed there that he will kind of play out over his face and so i think you do buy that this sort of like how he is such a, a, a haunted, destroyed man. And you see how somebody who go from, from that childhood to that military experience and now being like back in, you know, in, in, in the straight world and being like, okay, well, this is my experience, my expertise. And so I guess my job is I'm going to, yeah, just be able to go in and act as a sort of private agent to go and bring back these girls who've been kidnapped in, in that field as well. He has, you know, a lot of hor- times when he wasn't able to give the girls on time, times when he, you know, opened a crate and women who were being trafficked had suffocated before he could get mm-hmm. to them. Uh, so a bit of a Killmonger vibe here. Uh, oh, uh, for Killmonger? From uh, Black, Black Panther? Panther. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. That's what I thought you meant. Uh, how so? In that coming back from sort of uh, the seeing the atrocities of the world and mm. being, you know, riddled with scars mm. and then mm-hmm. going back and trying to uh, or having a, a different um, level of rage and anger and ability because of it. Yeah. Um, so we have, uh, like you mentioned, uh, this is, you know, taxi taxi driver vibes mm-hmm. uh the story is this you know adult man who's going in and he is his specialty like child prostitution or yeah it's it's mainly it's sort of like young girls who uh are taken uh whether you know for some sort of you know forced sex work or trafficking mm-hmm. um that's yeah that's his his focus and then the 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 the, the sort of the, the primary conflict that emerges is uh there is one there's a girl that he takes this the this sort of central girl that he goes and, and rescues and she it turns out was the favorite uh prostitute of a very powerful man and uh and so then a series of murders are carried out to um to punish him for that and to get the girl back mm, mm. and um and so then he and then he so basically yeah he kind of gets He's almost like collateral damage and this like massive cover up um, rash of murders. Um, and uh, and then he kind of is out to avenge that. 
So with uh, things like Pizzagate and uh, like the SESTA sex trafficking bills that are out now, um, you know, this sort of protecting um, young women who are in this business in, uh, I don't know, maybe having unrealistic, unrealistic vision of what this world looks like and who the bad guys are and like, mm-hmm. you know, um, not having a lot of um, shading about what the actual circumstances are. Do you think this movie like plays into a storyline that is um, damaging? No, I don't think it plays into a damaging storyline. I think that it's definitely, uh, you know, I think it, it can help raise awareness about the realities of uh, of the sex trade and uh, of the ways that, uh, you know, that girls are taken and that, you know, their bodies are sold uh, or just taken, uh, not being paid for them. And uh, and I think that, you know, I, it, there's something about the, the, the sort of, as we get into this sort of like this cover up and we find out who this person is who had wanted this girl and who was punishing joe joaquin phoenix for having taken her out of the brothel it does start to feel a little svu that was Mm. my that was my only issue with the story was Mm -hmm. just that it started to feel just like an svu episode of like okay well so let me guess it's like a powerful politician or something and this is all a cover-up and so it's like okay Mm. um but no i don't think it plays in any damaging storylines i think that you know it's uh yeah, I think it just depicts something that happens, which is that, you know, uh, unfortunately, sex trafficking is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and in terms of the the villain of the piece, uh, it's barely a character. Um, mm. The funny thing is that the, um, and it's played by an actor who is a fairly well-known actor. Meryl Streep. And who has literally no dialogue on screen for maybe 45 seconds. Hmm. And then uh, this main uh, child, mm-hmm. um, what's her deal? Uh, she is, uh, her father is also a politician and, uh, and she doesn't really say much. This is, like I said, it's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. Hmm. Um, and, but, uh, but it, it is, I will say there's at least one development that makes her not just like this sort of like damsel. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actress who is playing her is very, she's very haunting. She's a very sort of like this sort of like very just blank thousand yard uh, stare Mm -hmm. um, that suggests that she has been heavily sedated. Not to say that this would make it a bad movie. And again, I haven't seen it, but the idea that like, um, you know, the most, most victims of sex trafficking crimes are not, you know, wealthy white daughters of politicians Mm -hmm. and those, um, you know, go unexplored and and unsolved and, and uncared for. And then we have a, you know, we have a story like this or like an SVU type thing um, where people really, you know, pay attention and then kind of take overreaching, you know, under the name of like protecting, like overreach both um, legislatively and um, insanely like Pizzagate. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like that would be something I would like to, um, when I eventually see this movie, kind of think about. um, Mm -hmm. Did anything like that pop up for you or... No, I didn't think about any of that stuff at all. I don't think about Pizzagate uh, very much. I think about it all I, the time. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, different lenses, different experiences. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think that this is, uh, you know, and there is an acknowledgement, like I mentioned, um, you know, one of his flashes is of a, of, of, of a group of, uh, of, of, you know, Asian women who are, re- who are being transported in a container mm-hmm. and who had suffocated. Mm-hmm. So, you know. It, it, it acknowledges that and that's just not the story that's at the heart of it you know yeah. like it is this sort of it's more about you know political corruption but furthermore moral corruption of these powerful men um sort of maybe even using each other's daughters as playthings, um and being able to sort of use their power to force um you know this this unbelievable 
uh, reality uh, for their benefit. So, so it is your pick of the week. Um... Not an easy watch, guys. Not an easy watch. Um, but uh, but you know, I really like our next movie too. But I knew there was no way Rebecca would sign off on this pick of the week. Over my dead body. <laughs> um, you were never really here. Was rated R for strong violence, disturbing, and grisly images, language, and brief nudity. And that brings us to movie number two, which is Lean on Pete. Charlie, a teen living with a single father, finds work caring for an aging racehorse named Lean on Pete. When he learns Pete is bound for slaughter, the two embark on an odyssey across the new American frontier in search of a place to call home. I thought you were saying an aging racist. I was like, oh, right, aging racehorse. Racehorse. Yes. Racehorse. Got it. So what do you think about all this, Charlie? What do you mean? Yeah, working the backside, being here in the asshole or nowhere. I like working horses. What's this one's name? Lean on Pete. And here's number six, Lean on Pete. You won, right? Yes. Look, if we're gonna be working together, you gotta get some manners. And you gotta chew your food. What does your mom say? I don't know, I don't know her. What do you think about all this, Jason? All working, this, working the backside. Working the backside. <laughs> I'm a fan. I am. Yeah. Uh, so the movie, <laughs> this movie is a tough movie to market. Uh, mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, you know, hearing that we just sat here and listened to the trailer and it, it really can't, it does not suggest the movie that you get when you watch Lean on Pete. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it makes it seem like you're going to get this very um, kind of perhaps sentimental, maudlin, boy and his horse uh, kind of story. And the actual experience of watching Lean on Pete is much more punishing uh, than that trailer would suggest. That trailer also has a jaunty little like gentle rustic score. And this movie mm-hmm. has no music in it. Mm-hmm. Um it's, it would be better described as Lean on Pete, uh, why do we ask Lars von Trier to make a Disney movie? Been working on that? Yeah. <laughs> Just right now, actually. I was trying to, well, because that was part of, when I was watching it, I was like, this has a very, like, after schooly you know, Disney live action type feel to it. Um, uh, you can picture it in a giant clamshell, right? Like, uh, in, a, in a blockbuster. It's never, okay. Um, you never rented VHS tapes? No, no? I do. Yeah, you know, no, the, I know. The Disney ones were like big and white. I know, okay. I know. But yeah, it's it's not like that. Uh, but but yeah, but then it's like, but it but it's also so very um, punishing is a, a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel like I can't give this movie a fair review. Guys, so here's what you should know. Jason tried. Um so this movie involves, since it involves an animal and a person's connection to an animal, I want to give Rebecca a heads up since, as you might know, if you listen to the show, Rebecca's button is very easily pushed uh, on this mm-hmm. particular issue. And when you push that button, you get our tears. Uh, and so I was telling her beforehand, I was like, well, you know, this is just, you know, like it's, just, it's, it's pretty tough uh, what, what happens to the horse in this movie. And uh, she was like, ah, fuck horses. They're not cute. Uh, they do nothing for me. Their eyes, opposite sides of their head. I don't care for it. I she, mean... she talked a good game. She was very cocky. Uh, and I, I was like, you're actively rooting against this horse. And she was like, I might be. Um, and um, None of this happened. Go on. And no, all of that happened. <laughs> and, uh, and then we get there. 
and we're watching the movie and then we reach this sort of emotional crescendo involving the horse and the audience screamed i i i have not seen or experienced that in a movie that wasn't like a a, a straight up thriller yeah ever and rebecca turned to me with this look of such betrayal uh i felt very bad and I um, mouthed, are you fucking yeah, she, kidding me? And then immediately started bawling. Yes. And then she bawled for the rest of the movie. Yep. And the whole way home. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got you know, we got out of the movie, did a quick quick recap. And then I was and then instantly. Yeah. Mid recap, I think I broke down again. So where does this rank in your life cries? So if, if Okja was a top five Okja's life at the cry. Top. I, I think I called it, I would call this a half Okja. Mm. Um, it's also, <laughs> I mean, it's been a really, it's been a really hard week yeah. in general. And um and this is, you know, it's the button, right? It's a button that lets everything kind of go. And catharsis. Um, and and the the other part that is that isn't often the case in these, you know, animal movies is that there's so many other things. Like yes. the way the way they really build this. Con- it, I mean, it could have been an ant. Like the way they build this connection where this 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 kid who is, you know, so sweet and so relatable, and he's the actor is amazing. Hmm. Um, they really give him nothing but his this connection to his horse, and yeah. it's so innocent and it's so pure. And he's trying ev- with everything he has to to build this relationship, and then sort of out of nowhere, a really graphic you know tragedy happens, and it is so jarring and so violent, and you would have to be a uh, goddamn monster to not feel like it, it just pulls the... I mean, oh, it's a, any it's a animal punch movie, the stomach. you're it's a, it's a expecting, full right? punch to the gut. Because they build it so, up so much that you're like, mm-hmm. okay, something's going to happen. But it right. re- really, you can't foresee how bad it's going to be. Yeah, and it's it's abrupt. Um, And then, you know, things get worse. Yeah. Uh, so it's, that's not even like the No, end. that's not the worst. Uh, And it's very... And the whole thing is very Dickensian. Mm, oh uh, yeah, absolutely. If it had been a dog, I would have walked out. Oh yeah, I would. I down. would never in a million years. You, as if you could have walked, <laughs> as if you would have been able to walk Rolled if that the had happened to a crawling. dog. It would have been bad. Uh, like when I saw that movie with um, was a movie with Will Smith, like The Last Man on Earth, and it's like him and that. Oh, I am, I am legend. I I spent half of that movie in the bathroom crying. I couldn't. I could Yeah, I, there's no way I would have made I it. I think if this had been a dog, you would have literally puked. You would have Possible, just puked right there in the theater. Which is my other button, right. and it would have been yeah. a really <laughs> right. bad it circle. Gets into little Ouroboros, just feeding <laughs> itself of nightmares for you. Uh, so, yeah, it, this is a really... Um, this movie is a lot to go through. Hard to watch. Uh, because it is, in addition to just what you watch... You know, so the story we have here is that this boy... Uh, Charlie Plummer is the actor who plays him mm-hmm. uh, and he's a brilliant actor and he's so the casting almost feels cruel in a way because mm-hmm. he, his face is you've never seen an actor with a more poignant vulnerable face mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not like but he has the chops to back it up he's a he, the way that he registers emotion he's brilliant what I really what really struck me about him was um, you know in this movie he's 15 16 mm-hmm. and um and from as things go from bad to worse to even worse to mm. somehow even worse, um, and in these scenes, you at some points he looks fourteen, and at some points you're like, is he like thirty? Like mm-hmm. the way that like his experience in this movie, you know, you would assume ages the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like is really reflected, and and it's more than in just like 
you know, he has like you know dirt on his face because he's homeless. Like it, right. he 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 embodies the feeling of someone mm-hmm. who has aged so much because of the, all these experiences that have yeah. happened to him. Yeah, uh, this actor also pl- uh, was in All the Money in the World, mm-hmm. playing the character of Paul Getty Jr., who was kidnapped, mm-hmm. um, and the character that's currently being played by Harris Dickinson from Beach Rats in the FX series Trust. Uh, but Charlie Plummer is a fine actor. His character, what's the character's name? Is it in the summary? Uh, no, no, Char- Charlie? Oh, yeah, it is Charlie. Yeah, his character's name is also Charlie. So, yeah. Char- so Charlie, uh, what we have here, the thing that's remarkable also is um, how similar this movie is to Where's Kira? Mm-hmm. Yeah. These yeah. Are, they're both about protagonists who lose their parents, mm-hmm. and then the bottom falls out, and like the, the social safety net that had always been mm-hmm. there however um however sort of tattered mm-hmm. just gives way mm-hmm. and the and yeah you both situations well i mean one more than the other because he's a teenager mm-hmm. um and although you know more self-sufficient than a lot of teenagers mm-hmm. um you know he's there's still not a lot to do where in where's kira she's a full-grown adult with yes. like no life skills <laughs> yes. to to help her yes at that point well we'll judge her later but yes. uh <laughs> but for now uh, so, you know, we have a story of basically how a person, um, becomes homeless mm-hmm. and, um, and in particular the experiences that this young boy, uh, goes through. And I think that, you know, one other thing that we could see across this and the young girl in You Were Never Really Here and Kira is that, um, they are all white mm-hmm. and they are all good looking. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so in that way that, you know, they are not. Their experiences could be a lot worse. Absolutely, if right. uh, if any of those variables changed. Yeah, there are so many scenes in in uh, Lean on Pete where you know he walks up somewhere and is you know tries to approach situations mm-hmm. where if he weren't if he was you know a young black uh, right. fella it would have been a completely different in particular, welcoming. In particular, there's a dine and dash scene mm, um, that, yeah. that would have mm-hmm. had a very different outcome. Absolutely, had he not been an adorable little white boy. Um, but uh, but that aside, that's not the story that they're telling. Uh, so. And Charlie, just, you know, we, we go with him, and this movie is directed by Andrew Haig, who previously mm-hmm. made 45 Years, as well as Weekend. And uh, and he has, again, he has a very slow, a very quiet, very deliberate approach to storytelling. And um, and the movie feels, in a way, endless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also, it just builds up to this series. Like, it's his, his direction is so controlled and so effective because like it hits you like everything that happens along this movie not only is it gorgeously shot uh but you know it's a series of set pieces that Mm -hmm. really either you know rattle your nerves in a deep intense way in in particular in the final stretch of the film Mm -hmm. uh or it's just these little moments of beauty or connection and it's never like even when he'll find someone who will be nice to him it's never this over-the-top moment of um you know it's always like this is this quiet just kind of believable like these two guys who are veterans mm. who are like living in this trailer in the middle of fucking nowhere you know and they're not especially like nice to him no. um they just kind of uh, tolerate him and are like okay sure you come in and get some water and they all have their own sort of experiences yeah. that that bleed into to his relationship with them and so he like sees these different slices of life mm-hmm. from them and right. there's this whole other, other interaction when he's there that um with this uh older rancher that they live with and his mm-hmm. granddaughter who he's verbally abusive to mm-hmm. so you, it, odyssey is really you mentioned it then and it's yeah. in the summary the just the these these little groups of people that he he comes to meet mm-hmm. and none of the connections feel like it's supposed to feel like this kind of 
clandestine or you know they, they bleed into each other or mm-hmm. anything you know special happens but he just like meets these different people in different experiences right some of them are good to him some of them are not he, yeah you know he meets um uh steve zahn later uh mm-hmm. somebody in like a homeless camp in a city right is that in seattle or i know they're at that point they're getting on to i believe laramie oh right uh, they're getting yeah laramie or near where laramie at least so the whole the whole sort of the arc of his journey is that you know once he is essentially orphaned in his original home of portland oregon uh he takes his horse and he goes off to try to find his aunt uh who lives in laramie um and he's just trying to track her down the entire time which gives the whole thing a bit of a red riding hood uh kind of vibe mm, interesting um interesting i don't agree no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> interesting wrong i mean but i feel interesting. like if, if there's a, um a theme it's that like he goes in these situations um trusting that people are nice to him and mm-hmm. then for one reason or another each one is disappointing and they have to change so he has a relationship with his father and you know because of his father's behavior he's left to be an orphan mm-hmm. and then he goes and you know he talks to those veterans and they're fine but then what, what happens with that daughter like he has to leave then he, mm-hmm. he gets close to the horse and steve buscemi who owns lean on pete right. and chloe sevigny who plays a jockey which was yeah. a weird thing yeah not um, the most convincing role she's ever had no no um who are they're sweet to him but that it's just a series of disappointments um steve's on as well you know trying to help mm-hmm. him out another series of disappointments mm-hmm. um but I feel like the I, I need like a part two where it's like Charlie goes to therapy and learns to trust people again. <laughs> and I feel like it, it's all it's it's almost cheap that it ends the way it ends. But it also as a human, I think we needed it to end. A hundred percent. The way it did. A hundred percent. Yeah. If it didn't end that way, it would have just been, you know, it would have just been pure, just yeah, emotional torture porn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, no, it does have it does have an ending that 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 makes all the terrible things you've just watched uh, feel it softens the, the, the lens that you look back at the film with uh, the way it ends. And I feel like by the end of the film, like I feel like I've really gone on this journey with him. Mm. Like I really feel like mm-hmm. it's a really experiential kind of, ex- you know, thing to watch this movie. And, um, and I think that they, they couldn't have done it without Charlie Plummer being such a perfect mm-hmm. actor. Yeah. Uh, you can't put a tremblay in here. No, no. Don't Trump, even bring it. He would have. He would have. He would have just put too much, you know, Disney cute on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trust we don't need that here. Too much glimmer in the eye. Too much. Really, Missile? Where's my horse? Uh, oh, God, that, please don't ever do that again. Um, completely agree. Completely agree. I think I had a hard time with this movie. Obvious, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, and I and I felt originally that I was emotionally manipulative and that it was, you know, emotional torture porn. But I think that was just where I was when I was watching it. Yeah. Um. But, but yeah, I mean, it is sincere and it doesn't feel like you're being, um, you know, manipulated to, to feel these feelings. Apparently mm. feelings are just there and people have them, I guess. <laughs> so I learn something new every day. It seemed like at the, in the moment you felt angry that it forced you to feel. And okay. We're doing this right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You just seemed like you, yeah, yes. ang- sort of, yeah, you were not thinking that it was going to get the jump on you the way that it did. I had run into somebody earlier in the week. Um, and we were talking about, you know, how we were sort of like dealing with the kind of the rough week that we had. And, mm-hmm. and he was like, well, you know, I've been watching movies all week. And I was like, oh man, that's what they're for sometimes, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's like get in a movie and like right. get out of this. And then this was the God, worst. It was the worst. This was the worst thing. I know. You just got to go home and watch girls trip again. I really, yeah. I just need to like loop that 
but you know, but I do think this movie does come by. It, I think it earns um, the emotional catharsis that that it depicts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, in retrospect, um, with a little clearer of a head, I agree. Um, and and yeah, I think that, and I also agree that it's uh, largely in part due to Charlie Plummer. You could you could totally have ruined that um, by having sort of a shred of insincerity mm-hmm. or trying to be cute, and he does not. He's he's really just feels like a. 15 year old boy doing his best um yeah and, and he is still sweet yeah is a thing i mean the, the main unbelievable thing about this is that no one ever tries to pay him for sex yeah uh, yeah i was actually the, kind of surprised about that that's as well. the real shock mm-hmm. uh yeah this it would have been it would have been a more natural convincing portrait than the one and you were never really here mm-hmm. it would have been like yes this is how it happens uh this is you know some like some street kid with good cheekbones that's who gets pulled in mm-hmm. 10 times out of 10 um, so this one was not the big of the week. Um, maybe would have been, who can say? Yeah. I mean, it's a binge it for me, mm-hmm. you know, similar to you were never really here. It's not easy to watch, but I think it's worthwhile. Was it, was it for you? Um, I'm going to go with binge it. Yeah. All it's right. not a consume. It's a, it's a binge it. All right. Uh, Lena P is rated R for language and brief violence and just be careful. Take care of yourself. <laughs> don't watch this if you don't, if you're not in a great place. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which is Where is Kira? An unemployed woman finds her life falling apart following the death of her mother and soon resorts to desperate measures in order to avoid being evicted. I saw a woman today looked exactly like your mother. I mean, she even walked like her. She walked right in front of my car. You're kind of freaked me out. Everywhere I go, I see her. This is Woods. I'm Detective Brennan. Do you have any idea what will happen to you if they catch you? I know that. Don't you think I know that? I am in over my head with this. Don't you get that? Come on, you know me. I don't think I do. I'm just going to start off with saying I'm not a big fan of the name of this movie. Oh, it's a horrible name. Right? I hate the name so much. Okay, thank you. Ugh. You know, it sounds it sounds like a lifetime name. It really does. And it also makes me think of Orphan Black because Kira was the name of the daughter of mm. of, uh, of our sort of protagonist on that show, and she was always being kidnapped. And it's always like, "Where's always Kira? Where's Kira?" Constantly on that show. So I'm like, "It's been done, movie." Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, I hate, if it was just called Kira, and it also doesn't say that much about the movie. Like, no, and it, and it is a line in the movie um, in a pivotal scene. Uh, but that... It, oh, it, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah. No. But it still doesn't make it a good title. It still sounds like, you know, some... Yeah, this just sounds like a Lifetime movie about kidnapping. Mm-hmm. Where is Kira? Uh, no, terrible well, name. It's outside. Or, um, you know, it sounds like, you know, what, what Kevin Bacon stumbles when he, you know, when he rolls out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Where's Kira? You know, I mean, like... Are they still together? I'd watch that movie. They are. Love is mm-hmm. love is still alive. We keep losing them, but they're, those two are still those going. Those two. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of, that's a good segue into this. Have Michelle Pfeiffer and Kiefer Sutherland ever played a couple before? I'm gonna say no. I don't think they have. That's a that's a shame. <laughs> you 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 were dug in it. I felt like um, that was uh, like uh, two people getting together that I feel like always should have if they hadn't already. Right. I mean, they're both people who uh, have been in this game for a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, they are iconic in their own way. And now, all these years later, after we've both been aware of them for probably all our entire lives. Uh, now they're finally a couple in a movie. Mm-hmm. And it, it just seemed, I don't know, oddly refreshing of like seeing this couple that's like very evenly matched in terms of like age and mm. celebrity status. I feel like she's older than him. Oh, I didn't even, can't even tell. They're yeah. both in that sort of 
I stopped paying attention when they turned 40, and now I don't know how old they are. I will say, Kiefer Sutherland is that he actually gets more handsome the older he gets. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I have never, growing up, I thought he was really weird looking. Yeah. And the fact that he was engaged to Julia Roberts just boggled my mind. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. she got engaged to Lyle Lovett, and then we're like, okay, the problem's her. <laughs> um but uh but yeah um and michelle pfeiffer is amazing and she's brunette in this so you know she's gonna be serious mm-hmm. that's how you know she's not here to play uh this is this is it's so funny how these three movies each have these kind of threads that they go together so similarly to we were never really here you were never really here uh michelle pfeiffer in this film as kira has this very tender relationship with her very very uh with her sort of infirm older mother her ailing old mother she lives with her she looks after her she takes care of her um and uh and uh and similarly um walking phoenix's character in you're never really here same mm-hmm. exact same um and they both have these very tender scenes and uh and you know then similarly to as we were saying with lean on pete um uh, we have a situation where after um after the parent dies uh because pete Pete's father passes away. Not Pete's father, Charlie's father. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Pete like, is the you worst. want to call him Pete? You know, Charlie's dad passes away, uh, and then in this, uh, you know, her mother passes away, and of mm-hmm. course, in this, it's much more age appropriate uh, mm-hmm. when the when the mother passes away. But the thing that this and Lena Pete have in common uh, beyond that is this idea of like just how a person becomes homeless, mm-hmm. and that's something that I've always grappled with in the city that we live in, which is San Francisco. Uh, because I've always, for whatever reason, I've been resistant to this, this idea that like somehow, you know, oh, you, you know, one thing leads to another. And then a person who has been able up until that point to just live in, you know, in an apartment or in a home of some sort is suddenly homeless. Like in, in, you know, it, from my immense privilege, I have always been like, I don't think that happens. And it's almost like, to me, it's almost like something where it's set way earlier than that. And it's not like you're on this path where you do have a roof over your head and then suddenly you don't. And I think that what we as Kira does really, really well is it takes you into really the moment to moment of this woman panicking as, as she realizes that any fail safe she thought was there to keep her under a roof is gradually going to be taken away mm-hmm. um, because she lived with her mother and she counted on her mother's um, you know income, her pension, her, her you know Medicare, Medicaid, uh, on all those things so that she could live um, because she is not employable, it seems. Uh, and uh, and so then we just watch as we watch just the actual raw, up close desperation, economic desperation, a person who's gradually realizing that they have nothing to stop this from happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to leave a lot of that there um, <laughs> because it's, I didn't I mean, yeah um it that happens <laughs> i don't yeah. know um and i think that it's maybe eye-opening for some people of like how many people live paycheck to paycheck or don't have support systems or don't have savings and it's one illness you know with, mm-hmm. without insurance or it's one um job loss um in an industry that doesn't exist uh away from from being homeless or one addiction um mm-hmm. which you know a lot of people can have and still, you know, work and have a place and, and something in that changes sometimes. And then that addiction, you know, takes, takes over and become, makes you unemployable, which is what 
I sort of picked up from this movie. A lot of things were kind of unclear, which mm-hmm. is which is fine. Like I didn't think that everything needs to be spelled out, but like right. I got the impression from her interactions with um, Kiefer Sutherland that she was an alcoholic, um, and now so was he, and they were kind of like started drinking again, um, or at least he was because they had sort of like talked about like the medallion and things like that, mm-hmm. um, or maybe there was a taxi. I don't know, but I got the impression that that addiction was a part of her story um, for being unemployable. Um, well, it seemed like maybe at some point earlier, but I think that you know, more than anything else, it's age that makes her unemployable, which is a reality as well. Mm. Uh, you know, because she's as an actress she, in she's, Hollywood, she, right? Exactly, she knows of what she speaks. Uh, no, because you know her character is is not meant. She you know probably meant to be Michelle Pfeiffer's age, which is late fifties, um, and she is you know she has no she's not educated, and she you know doesn't really have skills and so she's going out she's applying for these jobs like you know working as like a hostess in like a little shitty pizza restaurant uh and things like that and you know and they always they're hiring younger girls and so you know so it's not that she that's the thing that's so scary about this movie is that it's not that she's doing anything wrong she is out there pounding the pavement trying to find jobs and even you know part-time secretarial you know any 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 of that sort of you know the sort of the more like the unskilled labor uh, service industry like you know she is out there trying to get these jobs and they're just not coming together and so I feel like it makes you know especially as a country we talk so much about economic anxiety and especially that's role that it played in the election mm-hmm. da, 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 da. and I feel like this more than anything else I've seen really put you even though it takes place in Brooklyn rather than like you know rural America even though it does not take place in Lanford Illinois uh, it, I feel it really made that experience real to me. It made it very emotionally immediate and very like, this is what happens. This is what it's like. Even though, as we mentioned earlier, the fact that she's like this gorgeous white woman uh, mm-hmm. makes her somewhat less sympathetic, just knowing that it would be so much worse uh, if she were a woman of color. Uh, you know, and, and, and but that's not the story that we're seeing here. Yeah, I mean, I think that like I would um, welcome this as an opportunity to really um, use this eye-opening experience to think more about uh, or explore more about your feelings of like, you know, I think when you say like this is scary and um, like uh, I feel like there's this, um, you know, we like to create this division because we think it can't happen to us. Exactly. Um, and also part of that division is, you know, holding people um, responsible and blaming them for their situation. And being able to, you know, by doing that, also separate yourself um, and and saying, well, you know, you made these bad decisions, you're irresponsible, you're a drug addict or whatever. Um, and uh, and that distance, you know, just it doesn't really help in terms of, you know, having empathy around the situation in general and having mm-hmm. empathy for yourself and even, you know, I mean, tactically preparing for your own, you know, safety net. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are just people who, for one reason or another, don't have the same... Um, resources whether it's family or friends or you know finances um that other people do and and oftentimes um that's that's nobody's fault right Mm -hmm. most times that's nobody's fault yeah 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 no i definitely wasn't talking about any sort of judgment uh you know passing uh it's just that i think that you know and i I do i remind myself of 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 the mom of my so-called life from the christmas episode frequently (laughs) um but in this you know because uh you know that also looks at this idea of um you know it's very much about homelessness and uh you know because it's you know angela wants to bring home you know uh 
you know, Julianne Hatfield, <laughs> who, plays, <laughs> one does. who plays a homeless girl. I put her up in a house current concert right away. <laughs> um, and um, and then Patty's kind of jumpy about it. And then uh, Angela keeps saying, like, this, that, that could be me. And Patty says to her, like, no, it couldn't. Don't say that. That, that would, could never be you. And uh, so I do think that, you know, movies like this kind of point out the illusion of stability. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that they, I think maybe it hit me harder than than it seems to have hit you because like, I feel like I've been able to, I've enjoyed like really remarkable stability for a long time. And I feel like, you know, and you know, you've had a lot of upheaval in the last year. So maybe it seemed less of like a, a, a more, more, less startling, less like, oh God, can you imagine? Um, than it did, you know, to me in some um, way. I would say that, um, I, w- I wouldn't say that that's the reason. Um, I do, I do know there was a time though. I mean, I feel like it was, a while ago and i don't remember like the vehicle that drove this change but um at one point you know i went from i mean we've even had this discussion before about like whether using the word hobo is like funny or mm-hmm. not and um i i don't I wish, I wish i could remember um maybe it's maybe it's part of being from cleveland and like the idea of like you know people worked their whole lives at these automotive companies that mm. thought things were going to be good forever and then all of a sudden right. like they all closed down and so even if that wasn't something that necessarily happened to my family um and i i've also i mean i can't say enough that how much stability i actually have like mm-hmm. you know like that's it wasn't like a personal experience but that i feel, just feel like that story is something i've heard a lot um either i don't know like local news or like yeah um s- something about it has has i've i've had this idea or I've had this um, understanding for a while. Well, and I think that, I mean, I'm from a very similar area and I think the thing that we have there is support systems though, because people still have their families and they have like, they can move back in with their parents or it's something like that. And so I think it's just the immediacy in this where it's like all those things that you thought were going to be there are suddenly one by one gone. And just like the sudden, like, Oh, it's happening now. Like this, you know, just like as each, each piece is pulled back of things that could prop her up and keep her, um, you know, in a stable place. Uh, are gradually just ripped away. I mean, I would say that, like, I, I could see this, like, so much clearer for Lean on Pete because you're, like, a 15-year-old boy who's clearly not thinking about the future because who does at 15? And then all of a sudden, literally everything is taken away. Mm-hmm. In in this, in uh, Where's Kira, she's in her late 50s, has not been able to have, it hasn't been employable clearly for a while. Her mother is very sick, like, can't do anything. She um, physically, like, takes care and, and washes her mother. Like, this didn't come out of nowhere. She just doesn't have the, the skill. If any, you know, if there's any situation where there should have been an idea that this was going to happen, this is the movie, right? Because this has been coming for a while. What were you saying earlier about judgment? I'm not judging. I'm just saying this <laughs> wasn't ripped are, out of nowhere. You were straight humble. Well, no, I mean, I guess when I say ripped out of nowhere, I mean like sort of the way that these things, uh, the way that, because I think in her mind, it probably was in the offing. Um, and then just the way that it's like, oh, no, like this is not the kind of thing where you're going to have like this, this, this comfortable buffer where you get to work things out. Like things start to happen like immediately. And I think that that's the way certainly when I've arrived and unemployed, you know, you, you do have those moments where you're like, oh, shit, this is like this. This is this is real. This is mm-hmm. happening now. Um, and so I guess that's what kind of what I was picking mm-hmm. up on from the movie. Um, and uh, and, you know, this is it's similar to Hello, My Name is Doris uh, in that sense. 
uh, because that was also mm-hmm. a story about mm-hmm. a woman who mm-hmm. uh, had been spent her entire life looking after her mother, and uh, and then the mother dies. Except for in that, that leads to a romantic comedy with Schmidt from New Girl, <laughs> <laughs> and in this, it leads to a a, a a a depressing romance with Jack Bauer from Twenty Four. This movie I also felt was in, incredibly slow um, and very controlled, and it, and it takes this really strange turn in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a thing that happens midway through, and you guys can stop listening if you want to be surprised if you plan to see this movie. But so the idea, so what Kira does that um, to to figure out because you know she can't access her mother's finances anymore now that her mother has died, and um, and so she begins to impersonate her, uh, and and she tries to you know pull this whole sort of gambit together where she's just dressing up as her mother and going and being like taking money out of her account and accessing her resources. And um, and then, you know, Keeper Sutherland finds out and is angry, but then kind of tries to help her with it. Uh, so, yeah, that whole thing, it was bold. I'll say that. It's bold. Yeah, just the way they sort of do it. Maybe I missed something when they were sort of introducing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, I feel like you're led to believe that, like, her mother's still alive because you don't know it's mm-hmm. her dressing yeah. up as her mother. Yeah. And then, then you kind of don't know if it's, like, some sort of, uh, like, Norman Bates situation because I mm-hmm. wasn't clear how dire the money situation yes. was. Yes. So there is this whole period of time where, like, what is happening? Why? Mm-hmm. Who is this woman? Oh, my God, it's her. Like, why is yeah. she doing this? And then at the end, you sort of see it's for, like, very practical reasons that mm-hmm. it almost ruins it a little bit because I was expecting something way more weird and twisted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it ended up just being, like, um, you know, sort of uh, right. every day. See, I was and actually sad. happier that it was an everyday reason and not some like weird, like, oh, she's fused with her mother and she's keeping her mother's <laughs> memory alive. I, I thought it was, I thought it made a lot more sense the way that it, they did it. Um, I need to shout out the cinematography, which is by Bradford Young, who shot Arrival. Um, mm. It is, you've never seen a movie that made love to like darkness um, mm-hmm. in visuals. Like th- there's so many different inky shades of black all through every really? frame of this movie. Um, you know, that is suggestive of the, the, the darkness that is overwhelming Kira. Michelle um, Pfeiffer is so fucking good. Really amazing. This is the best you, any of you have seen her in ages. This is such a showcase for her. She's one of the greats and she doesn't get to play these kinds of parts enough. What are you giving this one? It's a consume for Same. me. Yeah. Consume as well. Yeah. Uh, whereas Kira's unrated would, would probably be R for language and nudity. And that's it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Binge. Be sure to subscribe. Um, iTunes, if you're uh, an iPhone user. Android, you can use Stitcher or SoundCloud. Um, Jason is on Twitter at... Excess Baggage. And I'm at Fight Balance. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the Binge. binge.